0: How much is enough? As as I watched that uh, this week and discovered it, uh, I found myself wrestling with a number of, of questions. What would I have done? I wanted to be somewhat altruistic when I first watched it and thought, you know what, if I stick my money in a pop machine and I don't have enough to finish purchasing uh, my water or my Coke and it gives me back a $10 bill, that maybe I would just take that and try to find the owner of the vending machine, let them know their machine gave me back too much money and... But the more I wrestled with it, I was like, but what, but what if it did give me back $100 after I put in a 10, and, and what if then I got 1,000, and what if then I could put more in and get more back? And I just began wrestling with this question, of what would I do? How much would be enough? What would you have done? Would you have continued to put money into the machine, uh, anticipating getting more? Uh, Or would you have stopped at some point? And and I know it's a hard question to wrestle with. What would we do? So it's maybe easier to think about what other people would do. Um, What do you think most uh, people would do? And I think probably would say that a lot of people would just try to get all that they could. It seems like given a chance for more, uh, we often will take it. For those of you that are a little bit older and maybe watched Deal or No Deal back in the day, it's still in syndication. When people uh, have the opportunity to uh, take a lump sum of money or to risk it and get even more, they would take that chance. Uh, For those of you that are younger, I think about the Mr. Beast giveaway videos, like how often do... Uh, does a contestant have the opportunity to take home $10,000 or hundred thousand dollars? And then Mr. Beast makes the deal. I will double it. Uh, if you'll take this risk. And so often people take the risk. Often given a chance for more, we will take it. You can choose your relationship status on uh, social media. Uh, you can choose whether you're married, uh, Single, separated, divorced, or it's complicated, what would you say your relationship status is with money? What would you say that you are um, infatuated with money? Maybe you're dating money? Uh, you can't get enough of money? You think about money all the time? You think about maybe what the possibilities are with money? Are, are, are you married to money? Like it's a part of your life every day. Whether you like it or not sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's really hard, but you're stuck together. Uh, money is a part of it. Or, or, or are you divorced or separated from money? You found a way to distance yourself and say, you know what? I don't want to go back there. I don't want to repeat those stories. I don't want to have anything to do with, with money in that way again. All right. All right. Or is, is, is money complicated for you? As I think about followers of Jesus uh, in the world but in the United States of America, as I think about my own life as a follower of Jesus, I think probably the, the best status for my relationship with money is it's complicated. See, on the one hand, we know that money is important and it's essential to life. and I know some bristle at even that uh, idea that it's essential to life, but but think with me for a moment. How do we obtain the food that we need to eat? How do we uh, provide or buy the transportation? Whether that's uh, purchasing a car or maintaining that car or fueling that car, even if you don't have a car, it's the bicycle that you purchase. It's the it's the Uber that you um, you know resource to get you from point A to point B. Like money is essential to 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 life. It provides our shelter. It provides for our medical expenses. It provides for so many things. We need money. And so on the one hand, we understand that we need money. And even those that would say they've separated themselves or divorced themselves from money, people have taken vows of poverty or, or simply choose to live uh, you know, with, without even a whole lot of money, well, we recognize that that we still need money. Somebody's buying the food that you collect at the food bank. Somebody's paying the taxes that provide for the Medicaid or the Medicare. Money is involved in your my survival, and that's nothing to be worried about. It's been a part of our world since since in the earliest civilizations. So we know money is important in that sense, is that it's essential to our survival. At the same time, it's complicated because we also know that that money has a way of somehow uh, becoming a God to us. Like, like somehow money is insidiously allowed, we begin looking at it for our, our value and our worth sometimes. We look to money and we say, if I just had more, I'd be more. We look to money for security. We look to money for access. And so while we know it's important, we also know it kind of has this shadow side. And so it's complicated when it comes to money. And so much of our lives entail decisions about money. We're in this series in Proverbs called Live Well. We're looking to the ancient wisdom of the book of Proverbs, uh, how it coincides with the unified wisdom as a whole in God's word, and just looking to it and saying, teach us how to live well. We've looked at what it teaches us about relationships, what it teaches us about the words that you and I share. We've looked at it to teach us about counsel and plans like we did last week. And Proverbs is also full of a bunch of wisdom as it relates to money. One of the things that you see as you journey through the Word of God is that money matters. Amen. It matters how we view it, it matters how we get it, it matters how we use it. And, and all of this shows up in the book of Proverbs. And again, it's unified with the counsel we see in the rest of Scripture. And so, what I'm going to do this morning is just walk through some of Proverbs. We're actually going to start in the New Testament, and we'll, we'll be in Proverbs for the bulk of our, our, our time. But just to look at these three things related to how money matters. How we view it matters, how we get it matters, and how we use it matters. And hopefully that'll provide us some wisdom from God's word and direction as we wrestle in this complicated relationship with money. So how we view money matters. I want to start in the New Testament because typically when I begin a conversation with people, we're sitting around a dinner table and we're talking about money and income inevitably the, the conversation turns to a place where someone will say, well, money's just evil. And sometimes I'll challenge them and say, well, why do you say money is evil? And they'll, they'll begin to quote uh, a verse from the New Testament and, and I will challenge them and say, listen, money isn't evil. Money is neutral. Money only has the value that we assign to it. We are the ones that determine by our use of it and what we do with it and the place that it holds in our heart if money is good or, or bad. So even when we start talking about how we view money, we have to understand that the money itself is neutral. It's simply a tool uh, that is available in this world. And I want to take you to that passage that's often uh, misrepresented. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 6. As you find 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'll I'll read verse 10 in a moment, but you might want to keep a finger there or put a bookmark there because we're going to be back here at the end of the message uh, as well. In 1 Timothy 6, um, Paul has just finished writing Timothy about uh, godliness and contentment and uh, the dangers of temptations related to money. And here's what he writes in 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The word evil shows up there, but notice that it doesn't say money itself is evil. What does it say? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. How we view money, how where we place it in our lives is what determines whether evil or bad comes from us. Another verse that'll be mentioned when I'm having conversations with people about money, and if they say money is evil, and, and I, I kind of dispel that, they'll say, Well, Jesus said, uh, Matthew chapter 6, things verse 24, that no one can serve two masters, either you will hate the one and love the other, or despise the one and be devoted to the other, that, that no one can serve both God and money, But again, Jesus doesn't say money itself is evil. He says that, that money can't be your master. So again, it tells us that there's something about how we view money that, that matters. So let's go to Proverbs and see the wisdom that's there as it relates to how we view money. Proverbs chapter 11. I will tell you that if you do a search for verses about money and wealth, uh, in Proverbs, you will come up with a multitude. It's upwards of 30 to 40 verses. And we don't have time to go through all of those. So I've tried to kind of take them and put them together under these umbrellas of how we view money, how we get money, and how we use money. So Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4, listen to the father's words. Again, this is a father's heart towards his child, reminding him of the most significant things, the pitfalls that await. And here is what this father Uh, says to his son, wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. He's trying to get his son to see that how he views money matters. He, He wants his son to see that wealth itself is worthless. Something of value has no value in the day of wrath. That when we get to the end of our lives, it won't matter how much we've made, how much we have, how many square feet our home is, how many cylinders our car has, whether we have the right branded uh, clothes or, or the right furniture in our home, that wealth is worthless. It has no value in the day of wrath. When our lives end and we stand before God and His judgment, wealth, wealth has no value. What does have value? Righteousness delivers from death. Right living, living according to God's way, looking to him as our source of hope and purpose and joy, that's what has lasting value. And so when we think about this big question, how we view money matters. If we view money as that which supplies us with life and eternal worth, Uh, we're gonna be incredibly disappointed. But living for God is what lasts. And so how do you view money? Is is money your master or is money simply a tool and a means to accomplish the purposes that God has for you? How do you view money? Fast forward to chapter 11 verse 28. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Not a hard image to uh, think about. Uh, We've been hit by some pretty strong storms in recent weeks, and some of you have had trees and tree branches fall. Uh, You watch as those leaves turn from green uh, to brown. Uh, They shrivel and they die. And the father tells his son, listen, those who trust in their riches will fall. But the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. And we when we trust, when we put our hope in, we when we think that money will solve all of our problems, um, we set ourselves up to fall and to fail because it can't satisfy. Amen. What is it that provides life? What is it that keeps the foliage green? The righteous will thrive like a green leaf. It's it's honoring God. It's living for him. And again, when we think about this big question is how we view money matters. Do we view money simply as a tool that God has given? Or is it our source of life and purpose and meaning? And I can't answer that for you. You have to answer that. But the wise teacher of Proverbs, Jesus, um, the prophets, they remind us that, that money is not where our worth is. Our worth is in God, and so we should use money as a means to accomplish his purposes, not as what determines our value. But yet, don't we understand that it is a struggle? It is a struggle. It's a a complicated relationship. To show you how Jesus speaks to this, um, find Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus is preparing to teach a parable that we often call the parable of the rich fool. It's a really challenging section of scripture as it relates to wealth and trust in God. Um, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. This is the statement that fuels the parable that follows. It says, Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of Of possessions. Our life is not found in what we have and what we own. How do we view money? Because how we view money matters. What's really interesting is Jesus goes on to tell the parable. The very next section is a section of scripture that speaks about not worrying about what we have, about what we'll wear. In fact, that section ends in chapter 12, verse 31 with these words, but seek first his kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. How you view money matters. How do you view money? Do you view money simply as a means that the God has provided, whether you feel like they're meager means or magnificent means to fuel his work and accomplish his purposes, or do you view them as your source of of worth and your source of value? How you view money matters. And how you view money matters will determine so much about the next two statements. How you view money will affect how you get money, and it will affect how you use money. And Proverbs provides this wisdom for each of those. So how you view money matters, but how you get money matters. Look at chapter 10, uh, verse 2 in Proverbs. Again, just a sampling. There are many more that I had to cut out just because of time. Proverbs 10, verse 2, uh, says this. Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. We know that there's a way to secure wealth and resources uh, that is done uh, in a way that compromises character and compromises God's word. Uh, one example of that is Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11, It says that dishonest dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. There are a number of ways to uh, gain wealth and resources in this world, and some of them involve a great deal of dishonesty. And I'm not gonna ask you to share whether you've been dishonest or not. I'm guessing that all of us at some point in our lives have in what we might call minor ways or, or huge ways. If we view money as what will bring us life, we will be far more likely to try to get it through ways that don't honor God. We will be willing to lie to obtain it. We'll be willing to steal to obtain it. We'd be willing to uh, manipulate to obtain it. We'd be willing to fudge on a tax return or a business document or an expense report. How you get money matters. How do you get your money? Do you get it through hard work? Do you get it through uh, faithful, you know, um, stewarding of, of resources? Do you, do you get it through uh, being honest and transparent and, and claiming all the right things on your taxes? Or do you get it in another way? How, how you and I get money matters. It's a reflection of our character. And, and chances are, the, the more we view money as where life is found, we will do all kinds of things to get it, even if it means compromising our character how you view money matters how we get money matters how we use money matters before i move on to use though i almost forgot this i want you to think about an example from scripture think about the money that judas obtained Uh, judas sells out jesus he betrays him with a kiss and he's paid And, and think about how long that money lasted judas he bought a field and he hung himself Something I would challenge you to look at is when you see people gain mis- money in a dishonest way, even if it's like in a classroom at school, someone stealing from a backpack or from a locker uh, or from somebody's desk, or if you see uh, the report of somebody in the Boone Beat or somewhere else about how they've stolen from a store, they've shoplifted, or they've uh, robbed a bank, or they've broken into cars, you will often find that one act of dishonesty to gain money always begets more acts. Very often, you don't see just the guy who robbed a bank one time. You see someone who robbed a bank multiple, multiple banks, multiple times. You'll see someone who steals, and they steal again and again and again. Very subtle when we see in our community that cars have been broken into at night. Is it just one car? It's car after car after car. Why? Because dishonest gain, it just wastes away. Because it's fueling a life that's trying to find satisfaction in things that can never supply that satisfaction. How we view money matters. How we get money matters. How we use money matters. How do you use money? Do you use it looking for it to obtain you life and joy and hope? Or do you use it to further the purposes of God in this world? Proverbs chapter 14, we'll look at a couple verses here. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 21. Again, the, the father writes, it is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Um, the, the New International Version and the New Living Translation um, just use the word kind or helping the needy, uh, but other versions use the word generous here. It, is, it is, is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind, who is generous to the who helps the needy. Do you use what you have to help other people? Again, the son cannot uh, hear these words from the father out saying that it's important to help other people with the resources that I've been given. Verse 31 echoes a very similar statement of chapter 14. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Whoever is generous To the needy honors God. Do we use what God has allowed us to have to help other people? Another way to ask the question, because it goes beyond just helping the needy, do we use what we have to honor God? Again, that's a question you get to answer, I don't get to answer it for you. Proverbs 3 poses the question this way. This is verses 9 and 10. Or helps us think about how we use money in this way. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. As the father writes to his son, um, be reminded that um, the father's coming from a background. He understands the law of Moses, he understands the commands that God has given. He's grown up and he's been instructed in the commands of God. He's imparted those to his son. Part of those commands are that the people of God were to give to God the first fruits. They were to give to God tithes from what they had. Their, their very first parts of their harvest, their choice animals, they were given to God as a way of um, trusting in him that he would provide all that they need, to supply for the needs of the priest and those attending to the tabernacle in essence, to further God's purpose and his mission in the world. And so the father writes to the son, he says, you honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of your crops. When you give to God's kingdom, when you give to God's purposes, when you give to God's mission in this world, which, which would include the local church, but it's far beyond that, you extend his reach. Do, do, do we use the resources he's given us to, to honor him? And look at what happens when we do. This is what the Father writes to the Son. When you honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Just a couple things about this passage. It can be and has been misinterpreted to say, if you give to God, he's going to give you all this stuff, and you're going to be rich, and you're going to be wealthy. Um, Kind of in church world, we would call that the health and wealth gospel. It's often what you see on television. That's not all this passage is suggesting. We don't give to get a lot more from God. We give as a response to God, knowing that he will provide everything that we need. And that leads me to the second thing about this passage. It says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. Typically, we picture things um, from our American context. So we picture barns. We have our 1,000 foot, 10,000 foot, 12,000 foot pole barns, right? Um, filled and overflowing. We have our vats. We have our large pools and our large tanks overflowing. The, the image here in its context is just simply to say to the son, listen, when, when you give to God your first fruits, he will make sure you always have enough. He'll make sure you always have enough. It may be more than what I have, it may be less than what I have, but he will make sure you always have enough. How we use money (laughs) matters. And we won't use money to honor God unless we view money as being a tool given to us by God to further his purposes. So reflecting on a couple questions we've already asked this morning, one, how much is enough? Two, is money your master or is it simply a means to accomplish God's purposes in this world. If we will view money as coming from God, a resource given from God to further his purposes in this mission in the world, it will guide us in living a life that doesn't compromise our character to obtain a lot of stuff. It'll guide us in not looking to things uh, to be what bring us our value and our worth. It, It will guide us to be faithful stewards And when we follow his wisdom, when we view it his way and we get it his way and we use it his way, it helps eliminate some other problems too. We're not gonna be so prone to go towards mountains of debt to supply a life that will never satisfy in the first place. So will we view it his way? Will we get it his way? Will we use it his way? Because how we view it matters and how we get it matters and how we use it matters. And again, it's a message that's anthem throughout scripture. I wanna take you back to 1 Timothy chapter six again. After Paul has written about contentment and money and the potential for the love of money to be the root of all kinds of evil, here's a closing statement he makes, verses 17 and 19, 1 Timothy six. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. When we use money the way God intended, when we get it as he intended, when we view it as he intended, we can make a difference that far outlasts our lifetimes. Money matters. Money matters. It just depends on how it will matter to us. The final thing I want to leave you with is from Proverbs 30. And if you have paper cuts today, um, I'm sorry, not sorry. Uh, sometimes you got to bounce around. Perhaps this could be a prayer for you. Proverbs 37 through nine. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, they may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. What if we just humbly prayed that? What if we just humbly said, God, would you keep falsehood from me? And God, would you only give me my daily bread? Would you not give me too much or too little? Because I just want to honor you. Money matters. The relationship's going to be complicated. But his wisdom can guide us through. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just the whole counsel of your word. God, I thank you that you help us as we fight to resist temptation that comes, temptation that comes in viewing money as our source of security, our source of worth. God, I thank you that you help us. um, You transform our view of money. That God, you can convict us when we go about obtaining it in ways that don't honor you. And that God, you can help us use it in ways that matter, that build up your kingdom more than they build up our own. Would you guide us in this, Father, and help us live well? Amen.